Welcome to Drum Talk International, the Gretsch Sessions, which is brought to you by Gaver Music. My name is Gemma Hill, and I'll be your host for this mini-series, where I'll be speaking to some of the hugest names in drums. We're celebrating 140 years of Gretsch drums by finding out the story that connects these artists to the brand that they love so much. Before we continue, a small favour... Please like, comment and follow this podcast to support what I've worked on so far and to increase the likelihood of more episodes in the future. Now, let's carry on. My guest is one of the UK's leading session drummers. His website says that at the last count, he has played on 60 top 10 albums, 32 of which have reached number one on charts around the world. His discography reads like a who's who of pop royalty, which is not surprising because of his unique playing feel and approachability. He has a huge following on social media, regularly posting content from his home drum studio, The Windmill. Listen on to find out more about the one and only Ash Sowen. Ash Sowen, welcome to Drum Talk International, The Gretsch Sessions. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. So the last time we spoke, you were in the middle of your first tour with Tori Amos, and it seems like a fairly intimate tour to work on with you playing as part of a trio. Has it changed you in any way? Um, yeah, because, you know, I guess most of the tours that I've done, I've really only been a side person, you know, um, there's bigger bands and there's more people involved and there's usually a, a, an artist, a solo artist, and I've just been hired to sort of be in the band, you know, whereas this is because it's just the three of us and she's always, even though she is a solo artist, she's always kind of, because there's only three people on stage, it's, it'd be pretty weird to ignore the other two, <laughs> you know? Um, so John, her bass player has been with her for 25 years. Um, and of course I, I replaced Matt Chamberlain. And I think is, that's the only other live drummer she's ever had. Uh, and, she, and she had Matt for, I don't know, God, 27, 28 years or something. Um, so it was a real big deal. Um, and then, yeah, she invited me in and and, um, and she really makes a proper part of me being in the band and John being in the band. And we've got a little nickname there. They call us the Silver Foxes because uh, both John and we're almost identical. John's about four months older than me, but he also is graying and uh, an older musician so and the fans uh, basically i can't remember where the silver boxes came from but that's what we're that's how she introduces us um yeah uh so yeah i feel definitely part of it and um i guess when, when we first talked about that first tour I, I went in into it with the attitude of where I would always go into a band, which I've got to learn the parts and got to be as good as I can for the, for the parts and the music and stuff. And how it's evolved is that she's kind of invited me into her world a, a lot more. Uh, and actually that's really helped the music, if you know what I mean. So I think now this band, the, the band now, even though this is only our second year, it sounds completely different. And it's mainly me because I've sort of relaxed into the role of being um you know being her yeah actually feeling good and being her main drummer and i mean you know she's made me feel really comfortable like it's i never felt 
oh, you'll just fill it in for Matt. He'll be back and then you'll be, you know, playing for well, whoever, you know. I never felt that. She's always made me feel like, no, this is it. You know, you're you're my dude. Um, so that's how it's changed since we last spoke. God, that was a long, long-winded answer. No, it was perfect. I remember you saying at that time that you had been preparing for it because you were a bit worried about going back out on the road. So has that shifted then for you because you have been a studio drummer a lot over recent years and now to feel like you're back as a touring drummer? Yeah, it's really changed. I never thought I, I, I would, you know, like we talked last time, I did The Voice for about seven years and then I quit um, for a few reasons. One of the reasons was my studio was doing really well and I thought I, I have to give it some love and time and effort to see what might happen. Um, and uh, The Voice, I, I felt like I'd done a lot of time on The Voice and, and I could just see myself at sort of 60 years old still sitting on that stage because there's a lot of sitting around, you know, uh, you see us playing and stuff, but there's the amount of time because it's TV. The amount of time we just sit in there is is quite a lot, really. I mean, you're compensated for it. It's good, very good money and everything. But I just felt, you know, there was there was um, it was time to move on. And I kind of like, yeah, let's let's kind of just get. I, I hadn't been on the road, obviously. I'd just been doing the voice, and that worked great with my my kids at that time because they were younger and I didn't go away. And then pandemic hit and everything turned upside down. Um, and then, you know, I thought, well, maybe I will go back out on the road. I don't know. I've got to do something. And the studio was doing great. It did. I did really well through pandemic because obviously people couldn't do anything with anybody. And, and people knew about my studio and I had a lot of contacts. And amazingly, I survived that pandemic period because of this little place, you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then weirdly, I got an email from Tory's manager and it was like, she wants to go back out in uh, 2022. Um, and that was that. And now, and then, so I finished Tory's tour. I was just finishing, actually, the last week in Los Angeles last year. And I got an email from Joss Stone's camp saying, can I help Joss out? And, I, and then I ended up doing a couple of weeks, which turned into a month and then turned into another month. Um and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm on the, I'm on the road. Like, this is what I'm doing, you know? Uh, so I'd almost hung my sticks up as far as that was concerned. And then it just changed, you know, like this business, that's one of my favorite things about the music business is that you just never know. I've always loved that, you know, on the downside, if you look at it in a negative way, you you know, there's, it's, it's terrifying because you don't know what's around the corner and there might not be anything around the corner. But I've always tried to look at the, the glass half full. And um, yeah, I, I like that period of like, I'm in it now, actually. Um, I've not got a huge amount on next year and I don't know what's going to happen. I've got an O1 visa, which means I can work in America with anybody. I've got my own personal O1, so I don't have to be... Um, you know, associated with one particular band, I can I can just go out there and work. So that's pretty exciting because that could mean anything really to working with anyone. Yeah. So yes, I'm now back in back in the sort of live seat. And and the things that you touched on there that I was worried about, I was worried about you know, my age and my physical ability on the drums because there's no doubt about it. It's a physical instrument. 
And then, you know, you're doing all the traveling and the sleep is, it doesn't matter how high level the touring is, you've still got to get on a bus and you've still got to travel and and your sleep is broken. There's no two ways about it, you know. Um, So I was worried a little bit about that bit, but everything's been okay. I've survived. (laughs) Can you tell me where you touched on your visa for the States? What's the impact of Brexit been on touring for you or has it not had any effect yet? Well, so far not yet, but you know, I think you can only have you can only tour for ninety days in one year, and of course, you know where you go out on tour and where you stop tour, you don't go out on the first of January and end, you know, on the first of January the next year. It's like it doesn't work like that. So you've got to really keep an eye on how many times you've been out. Um, and I actually, to be fair, I actually don't know. So if somebody offered me a big European tour, we'd have to look at where I'm at. But that is that has definitely been an impact for people that I know. Um, I heard stories about bands, like musicians, nearly all the musicians changing and coming home mid-tour because they, they, their time was up in Europe. Uh, but America, of course, is very different, um, thank God. But yeah, it's a, it's a definite problem. And I, I hope they resolve it quick. Um, because there's a lot, not not obviously not just musicians, but crew and you know everybody that's involved is in the same boat. Okay, I'd like to talk a little bit about your studio now, the Windmill, which you've mentioned already, and how you stay on top of recording technology. If there are any things that you take advice on from producer friends, or if you just experiment, like what do you do to come up with new methods? Oh, it's a bit of both, really, but without a shadow of a doubt. From the very beginning, I got advice from anybody that I knew, and it's a few now, thank God. Um, but there's a lot of people that I go to and I ask about, like I've got the biggest thing that I haven't really delved into yet over the other side of the studio. I've got a vintage analog, purely analog vintage set up over there um, with Heritage Audio, and I'm hooking up um, over this side um, which is my usual setup, which is all my <clears throat> Apollos, my UAD stuff. But you can sync digitally with the Heritage Audio stuff. You can sync it to your Apollos. So I'll have a completely separate rig, which I'm really looking forward to. But that takes, you know, that takes a bit of effort. And as anybody out there that's listening that's been messing around with Pro Tools or or Logic or whatever, as soon as you add another piece of gear there's problems there just always is it's you know it's never the, oh just plug it in oh there it is that it works brilliant i mean sometimes but it's very often it will disrupt your system that you've got running already and the software and blah 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 so yeah i'm constantly asking people that know more than me all the time but i'm also now because it's been um where are we now 12 years i've been running this place and i've learned i'm, I'm in here on my own you know uh and I can call producers and engineers and ask them about stuff, but mainly I've been chipping away on my own as far as the sound is concerned. Um, as far as the sort of the technical side of things, how do I get this bit of gear working with my Pro Tools with the other gear that I've got? That's when usually I need the help. Routing and and like how does that sync with my Pro Tools and the, and the, the, the continual software changing um, they're the things I have problems with. Then I think there's a flip side, which is the sound side, 
So when, when that is all working, then you can start being creative and, and messing around with the sound, which I love doing it. In fact, just before we call, you called, uh, I've got this lovely old Gretsch chrome over brass, 70s chrome over brass, and I'm just messing around with a sort of Stuart Copeland type snare sound. And list, so I listened to some of the uh, records, obviously, and we kind of all know what that sounds like. But of course, now you go on YouTube and there's, there's uh, isolated drums from all those sessions. So you can listen and figure out, okay, it sounds like it's relatively minimal, well, very close miking with, with, with a very dry sort of ambience. And then I'm just trying to recreate it. And I, and I was just doing that before you came. And I'm having quite a lot of fun. <laughs> How do you find it working remotely in your studio compared to the traditional kind of thing of working in the studio with a team? I mean, I like both. Um, there's, there's some definite problems with remote because you can't communicate as quickly as you can if someone's looking at you through the glass in a, in a studio. Uh, and then you come in and have a listen and you can have the conversation immediately and then go back in and change it. Uh, that's something that without question is still needs to be worked on. People are talking about, you know, audio movers and sharing their, their sessions remotely and stuff like that. And it, every time I've done it with some very good people, that has then itself taken a couple of hours to try and figure it all out. And it's just like, well, this is defeating the object because oh, we want to do this to speed the session up. And it's like, well, it isn't. So let's go back to me doing a take, send it to you. You have a listen. We have get on the phone and then, which is like a sort of, it's exactly the same as being in the studio. It just takes a bit longer, but I like them both. I, I, and you know, the other thing of course, is that I play, I'm on my own here. I'm not playing with another musician when I do tracks, but pop music has always been like that for, for me. I don't know what other people feel out there but nearly all of the sessions that i've done it's been pretty rare that i'll do it with one or two or three or in, or an entire band it just doesn't work like that for pop you know the tracks done quite often i'll do a track in a studio in london and it's just me tracking so now i'm just here and it's just me tracking you know okay next i'd like to talk a little bit about gretch and what your first experiences were of the brand well, I've always had a Gretsch kit. I've, I've said this all along. I've, I've got a 1963 round badge, which I bought in 1993. Um, and that actually lives in a studio down in Surrey. And I've done a load of James Morrison stuff on that and share and all sorts of stuff. So I've always had a Gretsch kit and a, and a couple of Gretsch snares kicking around, uh, even when I was playing other, other brands. Yeah, so it's always been... A sound that I've known, you know, since my early 20s. And of course, you know, the world, uh, Gretsch back then was in a different place. I was in a different place. They probably wouldn't have even looked at me as an endorser back then. And then I've gone on the journey that I've gone on. I've been with a, how many companies? About two or three different drum companies before Gretsch. The last one being Sakai, which was the company that originally made the Yamaha drums. I was with Yamaha for 15 years and then a catastrophic thing happened. They basically put all their production over in to China and they, the American artists were told, but they were the, the sort of communication in Britain was not good. We didn't know about it. It was all sorts of strange 
things going on. I think they were worried about losing people. And then, of course, in the end, they lost nearly everyone. Um, and I went naturally went to Sakai, which then struggled. And everybody knew that, that they were going to struggle. And they struggled to the point where it was not, it wasn't really working for all of us. And coincidentally, the kit that I was playing was a trilogy kit from Sakai, which is three ply maple poplar maple. And as it was starting to go wrong for Sakai, Gretsch brought out the broadcaster, which is maple poplar maple. And I was like, okay, well, this might be where I'm going to end up. And, and here we are. It's actually next year I've been with Gretsch eight years. What do you think you represent for Gretsch? Well, I hope that I represent, I've had a, hopefully had a pretty solid career. So I'm a reliable working musician, which I, which ties in with the brand because they're reliable working drums. But also I feel like I'm, uh, I've got a foot definitely in the, the vintage side of things and the way that sounds and the way I play with some, some people. James Morrison, for instance, has got an old soul vibe about it. But also I'm experimenting, as most people know, I'm experimenting with the sounds and messing around with hip hop and making the drums not sound like acoustic drums. I love that. I've always loved that. So I think I'm hopefully with, with Gretsch, I'm offering them like a good, diverse way of playing. Okay, next about your signature snare drum, which seems to have done really well for you and Gretsch. Is there another signature product that you would like to work on? And if so, what would it be? Oh, well, um, I sort of have been talking to the, the Gretsch family about, they've actually got one, but like I was thinking there could be a smaller drum kit, a little bit like Questlog's Ludwig. But they've kind of got one, Gretsch. But it'd be nice to work on something that is that's got that real hip hop sound. But price range wise, kids could buy it, and it's a real drum kit rather than a sort of cheap impression of a drum kit. And then when they get older, they buy a real drum kit. It'd be great to get a real drum kit when you're nine or eight, you know. Uh, and then when you're twenty eight, you're still playing it because it sounds like a really cool tight hip-hop kit i've been talking about that also obviously my, my signature snares it's got that sort of high thing it actually it's got a really good fat mid-range and i used it all last year on tourist tour and it was really really great this year i've been using a brass uh, snare because i wanted to get something a little bit thicker sounding so i'd like maybe the fat max snare that everybody's been talking about this which is like a Another snare that I use in this year, which is a Max Roach um, four-inch drum, which I've detuned. I'd like to approach Gretsch with that and see if we can make like another version of that, which is a, which is basically the two sounds that I've been going for: really tight hip hop kind of sound, and then the the detuned eight oh eight, well Lindrum almost sound. So yeah, I've got I've got ideas for sure. Let's see. From a few posts on social media when you were touring, it seemed that you were having a tough time being away from your family. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that because not many people do mention that side of touring life. Yeah, well, like I said before, you know, my kids, when they were really little, I was, I was on The Voice, so I was in the UK all the time. Uh, and then before that, I was touring with 
Will Young. Uh, I toured with Will for about eight years and I, when they were babies. And again, that was just the UK. Will isn't, uh, doesn't really branch out into Europe or uh, America. So it, it was perfect. And now, of course, my son is 15. My daughter is 11 now. And it was my son's fine, but I think it was pretty tough for my daughter. And also, I'd not been away like I've been away in the last couple of years. So it, it was a, you know, those moments where you're like, oh man, it's, uh, it's tricky. You know, it really, really can be tricky for people with kids because there's nothing you can do about it. You can't come home. You just can't. You've got to finish a tour and you've got to be pro and get on with it. So there were, there were a couple of moments there on tour when I was missing them for sure. Yeah. And now I'm back and they're annoying. And I wish I was back out of the road. No, I'm joking. Next is uh, possibly a tricky question. It's the supergroup question. So who would you put in your supergroup? And these can include artists who are no longer with us. Ah, blimey. That is amazing. Um, who would I like to play with in the supergroup? Well, I think I'd probably have Pino on bass. I mean, that that would be... I've experienced Mr. P for over 30 years um, on and off. And I saw him actually when I was out in Los Angeles, he was playing uh, with um, a guy called Billy Valentine. And I hadn't seen Pino for a little while and it was really great to catch up with him. So definitely Pino. And that night, actually, a guy called Larry Goldings was playing piano. I think I'll probably have Larry in the band on keys. Guitar is a... Really tricky one, isn't it? I mean, ah, <laughs> oh, uh, Hendrix would be good. I mean, you know, often these supergroups don't work, but that, and it sounds like that wouldn't work, but I'd, I'd like to hear what it would sound like. Uh, yeah, Hendrix, Pino, and Larry Goldings. Who else? Yeah, oh, so many. And, with, and then Marv on vocals, Marvin Gaye. Oh, I'd love to hear that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, because, you know, Marvin could, uh, he's got the range. He could compete with Jimmy, I think. You know, he, he would survive. He wouldn't be drowned out, I don't think. There you go. How about that? It's great. Okay. I'm sorry, because this is kind of uh, talking about one musical legend or several, taking it to another one. So we tragically lost a really great artist this year, Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. And you were really lucky to have worked with her in the past. Yeah. I just wondered what your lasting impressions of her musically are from your times on stage together. She never, ever kind of didn't bring passion and, and, um, and the love for it. Even though she was down sometimes, she would always bring it on stage. Um, she's probably the only artist, actually, that has actually made me openly cry on stage. It's a bit weird. So I was touring with her in 2012 when my daughter was born. And there was a bit of a change around with the band. And they needed a new acoustic guitar player. And the, and the MD said, who would you recommend? And I said, well, there's only one guitar player for me, acoustic guitar player who lives in England. He's the, I, I arguably is one of the best in the world. And it's a guy called Robbie McIntosh, who toured with uh, McCartney for eight years and he was in The Pretenders and he toured with John Mayer, a fantastic bloke and incredible acoustic guitar player. So, and amazingly, he came out on the road with us. So, so Robbie was out on the road and then Sinead would do this song called Three Babies. 
about her three babies. And it was just Robbie on acoustic and her. And then, of course, the band's just sat listening. And we were on tour somewhere in Europe. And she did this tune. And, I mean, Robbie's guitar playing is enough to make you weep anyway. And then when she did that thing that I just mentioned, she delivers with absolute intent. It, it just, and I, my baby just been born. <laughs> you know, it absolutely hit me like, bam, outrageous, really. So that that's a definitely uh, a lasting impression of us. She was always, you know, she, she got known for being a difficult artist. Like a lot of people, you hear stories about people, but she was never difficult with us, with the band. She was always sweet as pie and and gorgeous she would text me and ask me how my daughter was when we were not touring how's the baby you know wonderful sweet person and obviously incredibly troubled and and has gone through a lot of shit you know but i I really i really enjoyed it she was great and it was a real shame when it came to an end she just flipped out on a tour and it was it was she fired the tour manager and her manager and we had like three shows left and it was like, that's it. We're done. And then she'd given music up forever. And then I think about six months later, I was playing on later with Jules Holland and she was there with a, another band. And I thought, God, this is awkward. But she saw me and she just went, ah, so she just came. There was, we had, I, I was playing with a, a girl called Rumor and there was an orchestra and she just walked through everybody, like straight up to the drum riser filming stopped it was like oh my god just outpouring of love towards me and it was and actually that was probably the last time I saw her if I'm honest yeah well thanks for sharing that because it's yeah it's nice to speak to someone who really also knew her because there has been so much negative press about such a formidable woman as well so thank you yeah no well there's a lot of negative about her back in the day and now everybody's realizing that she was right yeah she was really very forward thinking and outspoken about things that other people were a bit afraid to talk about oh she's not afraid of anything she wasn't afraid of anything really as far as that's concerned very funny as well like dry great it was you know we had a lot this was there's some really funny moments yeah all right next i want to try something it's a game we'll see how this goes so it is the 60 second Name female artist challenge. Wow. I'm going to set a timer for you. Okay. And I'd like you to try and name as many of the female artists that you have played for or recorded for. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to set the timer. Let's go now. Dina Carroll, Belinda Carlisle, Marianne Faithful, Sinead O'Connor, Cher, Adele, um Kylie um oh Dion Warwick rumor um Alicia Keys Alicia Dixon um oh what's her name the girl with the the dad was an actor um I did something with her oh Celine Dion um, uh, Josh Stone, of course, recently. Tori, of course. Um, Got 10 seconds. Oh, there you go. And time is 
up. <laughs> it was good. Well done. I forgot to write down how many, so I can't even tell you until the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think I missed a few out for sure. Did you mean Lily Allen? Yes, we always trying to get. I had it all planned. I was going to write down and keep a ta- like keep count, and I was too excited listening, and I forgot. <laughs> um, let's think. There's definitely more. Ah, oh, I did a track with Tina Turner, but it never made it out. Oh, gutting. Yeah, it was. Who else? I'm really lucky. Anyway, to to there's so many. I've I've been really fortunate. You know. Okay, we're kind of coming to the end of the interview. So I don't know if there's anything that you would like to talk to me about with what you're doing next. Yeah, well, like I said, it's it's a, it's a bit of an open book. Um, I'm not sure Tori's going to do much next year. There's some exciting stuff with Tori in the pipeline, but I don't think it's happening. There's no gigs happening next year as far as I'm aware. Uh, just Stone may or may not use me next year. I don't know. Uh, what else have I got? Basically, before next year, I've, I've got to go to Boston to do the Zildjian 400 event, which I'm really looking forward to. And they're inducting a bunch of people into the Hall of Fame. And then they're choosing a drummer for each artist that's being inducted to perform a song of that person's catalogue. And they've asked me to do Ringo. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to doing that. I'm going to work on my Scouse accent, you know, mate, and uh, see how that works. And after that, I come back and I do uh, Zildjian 400 in London with Dennis Chambers and Gavin Arison and Carl Brazil's doing it and a bunch of others. Then I do 21 drums, uh, that thing that I do with Mike Johnston and Mark Giuliano, and we're doing it this year in Tuscany, which will be very nice for a week. Uh, that's in October and then I'm there's nothing happening really as far as I know there might be an album someone talked to me about but I don't know and then I've got my Christmas bash which is the 19th of December and this year amazingly and thanks to Gaver too Gaver must I must give him a shout out Gaver is supporting it um, so they're getting Nick's kits coming over from Germany uh, and I'm really really excited having Nick Collins on the roster because, you know, he's not done anything. He's not done a drum event in the UK. And I think it'd be his first thing. Basically, I thought his dad lives in Switzerland, right? Phil lives in Switzerland. And I thought, I wonder if he's coming to see his dad for Christmas. And I sort of, you know, roundabout, we sort of reached out. And and sure enough, he said, yeah, actually, I am. I said, you don't want to have a little detour to Norwich, do you? Uh, and, it, and he is. So he's going to come and he's going to play my thing on the 19th of December. I'm on stage all the time with my Pro Tools and sorting all the tracks out for everybody. Uh, the brilliant Mike Dolbear, of course, has, has hosted it for the last couple of years. But this year, with financially, I want to try and get as much money as I can together to sort Nick out because he's he's really pushing the boat out for us. Um, so I'm trying to find as much money as I can. So sadly, Mike's not going to be hosting it. And as I'm there, I'm going to host it. But I'm really looking forward to talking to Nick about... You know, what's it like playing playing for your dad? I mean, like, he's only 22, I think. Yeah. And he's already played with, obviously played with Phil and then Genesis and then Mike and the Mechanics. I mean, he's if you take away who he is at 22, having that amount of experience is pretty amazing, let alone the fact that your dad is Phil Collins, you know. 
Yeah, I was going to say that's a massive amount of pressure, isn't it? Because people are automatically going to compare him and they and they have. But I mean, what an amazing thing to step into your dad's shoes in that way. Incredible. And I think, you know, I've looked at some of the footage of Phil and obviously he's 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 been struggling with his health and stuff. But I think one of the reasons maybe that he's enjoying carrying on is that the sound behind him is his son. You know, I mean, that must be must be great. However bad you feel, however debilitating his illness is, to be able to sing still, which he sounds great. And then the drums that you're hearing is, is your kid. I think it must be a beautiful thing, really. So, yeah, I'd like to see him, hopefully. I hope they do some more maybe next year. Do either of your children play drums? My daughter loves coming in here and playing this, my second little vintage kit that I've got. She's really into it. Um, my son got into bass, but now he is very much into rugby. So music is taking a back burner. But I think that both of them are pretty musical and, and I'm not going to push it. There's, they've got a studio, they've got drums, there's a piano in the house, there's guitars everywhere and basses everywhere if they want to touch on it, it all they got to do is come in here you know and and they can but my daughter's the one that really likes it she likes having a kick around but again i'm not going to push her um she can do it if she likes i'm not i'm definitely not going to be the pushy parent thing which is goes on quite a lot seemingly in music with younger kids playing yeah is there anyone else that you would like to work with artist wise Oh, there's loads. I mean, I've worked with Van very briefly, Van Morrison. Uh, I did a gig at the Albert Hall and Van was on the, on the, um, I was in a house band with Sting's old MD, Pipper. And uh, Van did six songs with us. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I, and I love, he's another one who's pretty controversial, but I love the sound that he makes and the, and the way that he makes it, it's very, very soulful to me. And I know he's, you know, he's, he's got, he's very particular about who he uses. And that's a challenge. It was a challenge that day, in fact, when I, when I played with him at the Albert Hall. But I survived. Uh, and I'd love to work with him again, actually, and see if I could survive again. There's all sorts of people, really, that are still around, thankfully, that I'd like to. Uh, Sting, of course, would be someone I'd love to have a get in a room with. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. Kate Bush is my one of my absolute faves, but she she doesn't like touring, never really has toured much. She did one tour and hated it. And then she did that sort of last tour that she did, which was probably about 15 years ago. And it was just a tour, but in one venue. <laughs> she just, she, I think she did like 10 nights, didn't she, in London? And that was it. But I love, I love her. And, you know, people talk about Tory being very similar to, to Kate. And she is in, in some respects, but, but actually also very, very different. Um, but she is, without a shadow of a doubt, coming from the same sort of creative place. And I, and I like that. And uh, I, So Kate would be one for sure, if you're listening, Kate. Very much doubt it. She would be stoned, listening to blackbirds out in the woods. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe she's going to be listening to the Gaver podcast. You never know. You never know. Okay, Ash Sowen, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. It's been great to have you on. Pleasure. Thank you so much. So thank you for listening. And a reminder that your comment, subscription to this podcast or like will go a long way. 
I hope you'll join me, your host Gemma Hill, soon for another episode of Drum Talk International, The Gretsch Sessions. Thank you.